1: Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play, powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1 800 858 858. Welcome
0: to Celebrating World Cup Lives. For Tobin Brothers' funerals, celebrating lives.
2: And as always, it's a great pleasure to have you with us for another World Cup celebration, the World Cup Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. My guest today is a man who instilled fear into some of the best batsmen in the world in recent times. He is one of the fastest bowlers ever to pick up a cricket ball. His name is Sean Tate, and he joins us now. Sean, good to have you with us. Thank you very much. Good to be here. How's the body, first of all, because of that? Incredible action that you had, and we know that fast bowlers, it's a strain on the body at the best of times, but when you're bowling at 100 miles an hour, it's got to be a strain. How are you feeling now, a couple of years after retirement?
1: I'm pretty good now. Um, no more painkillers, no more No more running in and, and whipping it down, so my body actually feels good now. I suppose as good as it can be. You still get a few, obviously every sportsman or anyone really, that um, over time you get a few Cracks and creaks, but um, to be honest, it's pretty good. i got no complaints.
2: Was it always the same action when you were coming up as a youngster? Did you have that same action? If so, mm-hmm. did anyone say, gee, this is going to cause a few issues with your body later in life? Did anyone try and tinker with it and just fine-tune it a little
1: bit? Oh, they did, yeah, absolutely. But when I was younger playing sort of cricket up in the Adelaide Hills, I had a, a fairly decent action. I was sort of a bit more upright and um, sort of just looking to bowl out, swingers, decent pace, I suppose, for a kid. Um, and then I got a bit stronger, and, and I, something just hit me. I just wanted to bowl fast. And um, rather than just, I, I sort of got bored, I suppose, with bowling little outswingers and, and on the spot type thing. I just wanted to be quick. And I was big enough for it and strong enough for it. And um, I sort of had the action that, it could, that could change a bit to become a bit of a slingy type thing, I suppose. Um, and yeah, and then coming through the ranks at the sacker as a as a young fella, um, some guys tried to tinker with it. Obviously, I had Dennis Lilly used to come around at, at, in those times working for Cricket Australia. Spent a lot of time with him, and he was really good. But um, and he could definitely see that I, I needed to change a few things. Um, I suppose I was a little bit stubborn though. So when
2: Didn't change too much. when Dennis Lilly did speak to you, maybe in the back of his mind, he had uh, an old bowling partner of his, because the great Jeff Thompson, of course, yep, had yep. a very much a slinging type of action. Mm. Did, were you inspired by the likes of Tomo? Or was there anyone? Uh, that did inspire you to to give it more of the slinging
1: action after being upright early on? Yeah, I never saw Tomo Bowl. I was too young for that. Um, so it wasn't really Tomo, it was more I mean I, I when I was growing up it was um you know, McGrath and even to a certain extent Brett Lee and I ended up playing with these guys but to a certain extent uh, Binger and, and Shoabukta um but you know was him was Macron, Ambrose, these sort of guys, Waka Eunice, um they're the guys I used to watch. Um, from from memory that I, that I liked, um, and I suppose as I was getting sort of older, t- teenage years, yeah, Schaub and, and Brett. Um, I suppose I got a fair bit of inspiration out of watching their their stuff. Where did the extra speed come from? I'm sure that you've broken it
2: down and, and you've looked um, physiologically yep. at how you gained that extra speed. How quick were you bowling when you were when
1: you had the upright action? What was your quick one there? Oh. I don't know. I mean, there was times when, I, when even when I was playing professional cricket, you know, I, I sort of did get a bit more upright and got a bit more bounce and swing. And I probably should have stuck to that because eventually you can probably get some pace into that sort of action. So, um, but obviously there comes a time, you know, if you're playing a four-day game at Adelaide over on a pretty flat wicket and you come into the last session, um, your body's tired. I just, I think that's where it came from. The, the fact that when I got tired, I tried harder to bowl quicker and then your the action sort of goes a bit all over the place. And I suppose that's where it came from. Um, so I look looking back the times that I was yeah, fresh I probably was a bit more upright trying to swing it and then later in the day um, that's when I really got that sling on and, and sort of bold reverse swing because probably because I was tired so um, but I, I believe I believe it's a lot of it's adrenaline you know even when I played footy as a kid I, I, I'd get fired up quite easily so I had a, the, the adrenaline used to pump um, and I just sort of mentally tell myself at training I've got to bowl fast all the time and I, I reckon that's got a lot to do with it as well and Speaking to young young blokes now about bowling quick, you've got to tell yourself you're a fast bowler and you've got to push your body to the limits in the nets because then your body gets used to it. One of
2: the things about the slinging action, Sean, is that I've often heard um, people who know the bowling action a whole lot better than me, but they talk about the mm-hmm. release point and how difficult it is to read it when it's coming almost sideways rather than from mm-hmm. the top where batsmen are used to seeing it. Did that work in your favour? Do you think that it came from a different release point?
1: A lot of guys said that it did work in my favour. You know, guys I played against, um, and then obviously played in the, in the Australian side with them, and, and we talk, just talking, you know, having a beer or whatever it is. And uh, they, yeah, they used to talk about the fact that they didn't really know where it was coming from with me. It sort of came from behind, and it was a bit of a sling, and my arm was sort of not in front of the umpire, like a malinga, but you know that sort of that sort of stuff. So they found it hard for, to pick me up. That's the that's the feedback I got. Yeah.
2: When you said before, you just like to bowl fast. Does it then become mm. a competition to see how fast you bowl and and sometimes that is at the expense of other things that
1: you should be thinking of while you're bowling? Did it yep. ever get to that? Yeah, it did. I, mean, I suppose that's why, I'd, you know, <laughs> if you follow cricket, I bowled a fair few wides, no balls, and this mm. sort of thing. I always had problems with that, um, and I had problems. You know, there'd be games where I'd get tapped all over the park, um, and I'd got a fair bit of criticism for that. Um, but then I suppose, you know, talking to coaches through my career, they were like, you're the bowler we want because – you can win a game by yourself, but then you can also lose it by yourself. And I suppose I, I got a, I come to peace with that after a while. And I mean, I, used to, I when I when I'd lose a game, if I bowled a wide in the last over and then go hit for a six or no ball, then I was so down on myself. I um, was I was a, I was a hard, harder critic on myself than anybody. I was um, the sort of guy that would apologise to the teammates. I was that down. I just wanted to do well all the time. So, um, but yeah, I came to peace with the fact that. Yeah, people would, would want me in that side because I can win a game. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, you, it can go pear-shaped as well. What about the intimidation factor? When you bowl that fast, when you
2: get it up to 160 kilometres an hour, mm. you are well aware that you have somebody at the other end who either can't see it or is mm. scared of seeing it. How much it Doesn't want to see it. Yeah, yeah it doesn't want to see it. How, how much did that <laughs> play on your mind? When you're bowling fast and really fast, how much... Did you or were you aware of the fact that you had someone at the other end who just didn't want to be there?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I reckon that's a huge part of fast bowling, even if you're bowling 135 you've got to have presence um, if that makes sense, you've got to have a presence about you you've got to try and make yourself bigger in your follow through, um, you don't have to carry on the sledge all the time, I mean I used to say a few things here and there but it was just silly fast bowler talk, it was nothing personal or anything but you've got to make sure that they know that you don't like them being there, I, I think that's a huge thing in fast bowling and I used to try and do that. A lot of the time, my job, I felt, was to intimidate the opposition batsmen. It didn't always work um, at all. Um, But if you've got a guy on your team that can bowl 145, 150, and also be in their face and is a scary-looking fast bowler, I reckon it's a huge advantage for your team. So that intimidation
2: is part of your weaponry, and you have to use that. Did what happened with
1: Philip Hughes change your outlook on the way you bowled? Look, I, I was probably... I suppose I was coming towards the end of my career then. And most of my five brand stuff was in my first ten years. Of, mm. I think I played fifteen years, so my last five was a little bit more subdued. I was playing twenty twenty, so obviously one bounce went over. Um, and you can roll, you can bowl as fast as you want in T 20s You're probably going to go the journey more often than not. So my game did change a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say my that changed anyway before Phil before Phil's death, but. Um, I suppose it was more the attitude towards cricket. Just don't, say, don't take it so seriously. If you've hit someone in the head or you've hit them in the arm, don't carry on. Go and see if they're okay. It's all right to do that type of thing. Whereas in the past when I'd hit guys, I'd just turn around and walk back to my mark. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, I was fairly happy that I hit it, hit them, which that changed when, when Phil died. Um, after that, it was like, right, this is a game um, and, and it's dangerous. So, yeah, that, that that's what changed. Probably the mindset. Mm. Was there ever a moment with
2: you, Sean, where you were worried that you'd hit someone and cause some damage? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was times you hit, hit a guy on the helmet. Um, and often enough, to be fair, I did go up and, and, and see if they are okay. And a lot of guys, towards the end, because you're playing so much T20 cricket around the place, you end up hitting blokes you know that you've had a beer with in the past or you've played on the same team as. So I remember hitting Michael Lum at Adelaide Oval, um, hard in, in, the, in the Big Bash. And yeah, I was worried, I was concerned about him because he's a mate of mine. I hit Luke right at the MCG towards the end of my career, hit him hard in the helmet as well. And I'd also played and, and had a couple of beers with him in the past. So then I started to worry definitely. Well, talk
2: about some famous wickets that you got when you played your first Test match a little bit later in the program. What's your involvement with cricket these days after retiring from um, forms of the
1: game a couple of years ago? When I first retired, I wanted to get away from it. And I sort of spent six months, I suppose, just, just chilling out. And, and uh, my daughter was born at that time as well. So um, I spent time with my family. And I didn't really – I sort of wanted to see the life away from cricket. And that lasted about six months. I got I got jack of it. And I wanted to get back into the game. So um, it's funny how that works. And, yeah, that's all you know sort of thing. Um, but so nowadays I'm head coach at Adelaide Career Club. Um so I've just been appointed that um, this off season, um, so that's good. I, uh, you know, being a head coach in the, in the grade comp here in Adelaide is a is going to be a big challenge for, for me. Um, see how I go. Um, I was playing cricket still in the Adelaide Hills actually until until this year as well, um, as a batsman. Believe it or not, on, on mostly on hard wickets. But uh, and then just some media. I mean, I've been in India a, a lot. I've been in Dubai doing uh, coverage for their their Premier Leagues over there. For, so. I've done a fair bit of studio analysis stuff um, in the subcontinent, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. Um, even a bit of radio with with uh, SCN here for the Big Bash as well. Yeah, so that's about it. That's that's the crux of it. So that's um, yeah, still being involved in the game is is um, it's made me happier than I thought it was going to put it that way.
2: Do you think that um, your action was more suited to the shorter mm. forms of the game? You did play Test cricket, and we'll talk about that as the yeah. program progresses. But do you think ideally mm. that it was more suited towards um, ODIs and and T20s.
1: When I yeah when I was um, when I was younger, I used to love the the one day cricket. I mean, I, I obviously watched Test cricket, but I, I remember certain things about Test cricket watching as a kid. But I'd, all I think about in my childhood watching was the coloured clothing and the one day cricket. I've always loved it. Um, and obviously, when I first started playing, yeah, for the, for South Australia, it was all four day cricket. Eventually, I moved into one day cricket. My first contract with Cricket Australia was. Based on the longer forms, um, I wasn't I wasn't ranked as a short-form player at all. And I found that amazing because I thought I was a better short-form player, even at that age. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, really sort of deep down in my thoughts, I was always going to be a, a short-form player. Um, I managed to get through, I mean, 40, maybe 40 Shield games, I suppose. And, and obviously only played three test matches. I look back on now, it would have been lovely to play a lot more of that, certainly. Um, but I think I was probably built for one-day cricket more so, yeah.
2: All right, we're going to explore that when we come back on the other side of the break, where it all began and when the first realisation came to you that you might be good enough to represent your country, which you did uh, throughout One Day Internationals and uh, also through those test matches and that famous test that we are going to discuss where you took three pretty handy scalps. That's all still ahead of us with Sean Tate as we celebrate the World Cup. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives.
0: You're listening to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
2: Hope you're enjoying the chat with Sean Tate as we celebrate the World Cup, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Before we get into uh, the start of your cricket career, Sean, who was the first one to generate the name The Wild Thing
1: about you? Um, I think it was Andrew Simons. He, he was a good friend of mine when I was playing with the Australian side and it sort of started, that 2007 World Cup, it started around then. They actually put a video, um, <clears throat> the team, one of the, the analyst bloke or, or whatever and a few of the players got this video organised for the, for the team in a team meeting and they, they put it up on a screen and they played that song and just showed me bowling a heap of wides and they <laughs> had wides that were going for four and all this sort of stuff. I just sit there and cop that. And the players loved it. And I think probably after that, they, I can't remember if they'd, they were calling me the wild thing before that. It all started as a bit of a joke. You know, the, the Major League, Charlie Sheen's character, I think it was Ricky Vaughan or something, his name, I think he sort of came out and bowled and threw fast, but threw all over the place. And that's where it came from. Um, and it sort of stuck. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but you, you don't get to choose your nickname, do you? No, and I think Glenn Maxwell is the prime example of that.
2: You know, the big show (laughs) came along, and then after a while, he just said, oh, for God's sake, don't call me that anymore. Yeah, exactly. I've never referred to myself as a wild thing, I can assure you. We're only just starting to see the IPL back on television again. It went through this hiatus where when it first came out, you know, it was the biggest thing in the sport, and then all of a sudden it just drifted away, and we didn't get coverage of it from... Someone who's never been there, and I'm sure that's most mm. of us, how manic is the enthusiasm and the dedication of the Indian people towards the IPO? Oh. It must be just
1: something to behold. Yeah, I've spent obviously spent a lot... Of, my wife's Indian. Um, I've spent a lot of time um, in India. Um, during the IPO, I played... Oh, I don't know how many years I played, four or five years, and then I managed to go back again a couple of years later just as a squad member. I didn't get a game. Um, and then the last three seasons, I've actually... Uh, done the commentary stuff with the IPL. So I've been heavily involved there. It's just, it's just It's got a great feeling about it. It has, um, I wouldn't say the whole country stops, but it, you've got a game on every single night and it goes for two months and every single game is absolutely packed no matter what. And I suppose a Big Bash is similar, but um, it's a way of life there in, in some ways. You, you just feel it when you're in the cities. You, even if the cricket's not on, you can just feel that it's on. Um, it's very difficult to explain um, how it works, but it's um, well, it's it's certainly a, that two month period, and while the IPL is on in India, it's, it's it's great fun. Yeah,
2: it's very lucrative for the players. You can kind of set yourself up by playing a few yeah. years of IPL, but that brings a certain amount of pressure with it. Yeah. And when you're playing for a big franchise as well, it must have been a time where yes, it was nice to get the dollars, but there's a fair bit of responsibility mm. that goes along with
1: it. Yeah, there is. I mean, my I never got a huge well compared to a lot of guys, I was never on a huge one. A lot of guys, you know, a lot of the younger, say, Aussie guys that first get their go, some of them are on 80 grand, 100 grand, whereas some of the guys are on 1.5 mil. So Mm. there is a big, big difference in contracts as well. Um, You know, someone like a Dave Warner, obviously. He was captain for a few years and he was on, on big money. So, yeah, his responsibility was huge. And I do remember playing with a couple of guys, not Australians, but... That got big contracts, and then um, seeing the way that they change in the in the dressing room, you could see they're under pressure mm. to score runs, and and often the guys that they happened to didn't have big big seasons because all they were thinking about is I better live up to this one point one million dollar price tag. Um, so you're right, there is definitely pressure, and and, you, and I did I must say I did see that with a couple of guys. Yeah,
2: let's go back, Sean, to that time we were talking about where you're just starting to get your formative steps, and obviously you're coming under the attention of uh, some. Uh, talent people at Cricket Australia. Who was the first one, you think, at the top level who saw in you uh, enough to
1: indicate that you had what it takes to play for your country? Um, oh, I mean, there was a guy called Peter Muggleton here in SAC, at the SACA um, and, a, and a couple of guys in the coaching here that they first showed the interest in me. Um, and obviously, that's from a South Australian point of view. Um, and I, th- I think... I think they saw it in me, the SACA saw it in me, I don't think they were surprised when I got called up, fairly young age, and, and into the squad, um, so I think the Sacker in general at that time were, were good for me, um, and a lot of guys were had involvement with that, I'm trying to think f- to the next level, I mean, um, John Buchanan was coach, but he was he had a lot to worry about, he didn't need to worry about a 20, 21 year old five brand, to be honest, so I wasn't really playing, I was in the squad, but um, I always come back to, my, I think it's my teammates, so I think if you talk, like I never had an actual mentor, I suppose, off the field or anything like that. But I think my teammates. So I look at Jason Gillespie, Darren Lehman, They were two South Aussies. You know, Bluey had Bluey had probably finished. Greg Blue had probably finished at that time. But he was in the South Australian squad. So had some had three guys that had played a lot for Australia around the South Australian stuff. So That was good to have. And I was on tour with Dizzy and Bull for my first tour. Um, and then there was guys. You know, through the next couple of years when I was sort of just about to play my first Test match. Uh, Shane Warren showed a lot in me as well um, he was very keen for me to get a game he made it He made it really obvious that he wanted me to play as well in the nets and stuff he would encourage so I remember at the time him, him backing me in a lot um, and I suppose I, I, I bowled to Steve War in a game, I think it was my second or third one day game, um, I bowled to Steve War and bowled quite quick and, and bowled well and, and I remember the next year or so in the media a lot Steve War saying that I should be in the Australian team so probably got Steve War to thank as well so yeah, not, not just one person, I think just a collective group of people and I'm probably missing a few as well, but um, yeah. You mentioned your uh, love of the one-day game and
2: the colour clothing and that was mm. um, something that caught your attention as a youngster. Did you see the vindication coming if you were named in the one-day team or was it still the aspiration that most cricketers seem to have and that is to get the baggy green? Was that your immediate goal when you first started looking at the international scene?
1: Yep, I think um, yeah, especially cuz I was looked at as a longer form player at that time. Um uh the baggy green was that was everything I suppose and you know even at home on on back on our little hobby farm I think that was all leading up to that even you know with my dad and my brother and everything it was just um yeah, it was just all leading towards that that baggy green and it's obviously very surreal but uh that was a great moment obviously getting that but I remember my, I think my first one day game was 2007 so it was a couple of years later. Mm. Um but I remember getting my, playing that first one-day game at the SCG, and that was sort of uh, how do you explain it? It was, it was almost a complete feeling, and I felt more comfortable, in probably felt more comfortable in the one-day arena, um, at the SCG that day, stinking hot. I didn't have a great game, but I just felt like that's where I belonged. Um, entertainment. I felt like my game suited entertainment, which is what one-day cricket and twenty-twenty cricket is.
2: Well, let's um, go back to the test first, and then we'll talk about that Mm. night at the SCG, that day night. Mm. Uh, Your first test, 2005, famous series. Mm. I I always remember 2005, Sean, because it was the first time that I got a big screen TV, and (laughs) I could not wait for that first test. And and the first over of that first test of 2005, it was just fantastic ashes, Test cricket to be a part of the team there and a part of mm. the squad must have been just oh, enormous. Yeah.
1: yeah, oh, it was fantastic. And it's, um, yeah, listen, there was no, and there's no time, you know, sometimes you look at it from afar, or you're watching a nine, you go, that must be fantastic to be a part of that. And sometimes you, you, you expect some guys might go, it wasn't that great, but it was, it was brilliant. It was, mm. um, just the, the hype around in the UK, um, on the on the bus with the team just drive, driving everywhere um, around the UK and there's crowds following us, obviously abuse majority of the time. But um, and I, I didn't play until the fourth test. Um, mm. So just all the lead up to that as well. I, mean, I enjoyed every single minute just being around those those legends in our, in our team, training with them, having a beer with them after wins and, and whatnot. So uh, I think, to be honest, apart from the actual cricket, I just enjoyed the actual experience itself. Um, I've just been being on that tour with the team, not the actual games, uh, so to speak, um, but just the other stuff that went on. I just thought it was fantastic, yeah.
2: What about in that fourth test? They throw you the ball and they say, righto, young fella, mm. it's your turn to bowl in test cricket. What was the um, nervous energy like inside
1: you? Oh, yeah, I, mean, I felt like I was... I mean, I look back now and say maybe I wasn't ready for it, but I felt at the time I was, I, th- I think. You know, I'd, I was certainly confident enough to play. Um, I'd been bowling really well in the nets, um, I bowled well in the tour games, leading in. Um, so, yeah, but uh, it was obviously it was a fairly flat wicket from memory. Um, I probably tried to bowl a little bit too fast, and then I was very nervous. So, um, well, I thought I bowled all right in the first innings. I think I took three for. Yeah, and it was 80, it was
2: three for, for ninety seven, and 97. the scalps were Gothic, Ian Bell, and Andrew Flintoff.
1: That's yeah, a pretty handy trio. Yeah, Freddie got 100, I reckon. I got him LBW on, a, on 100. Um, yeah, I mean, that that first week at Triscothic I, I sort of carried on a lot. and But that was just a, my body, uh, my feelings took over. It wasn't a celebration I'd planned or anything like that. I just sort of, it was pure happiness and relief. And um, I think your your whole life you worked to something, and, and that felt like that's what it was, I suppose. It was getting a wicket in test cricket, knowing that you, you're you good enough to knock over someone like a Trescothic. Um, and I, was, I just was so happy. My body just took over, and I ran and, I think, tackled Gilly. So, um, <laughs> yeah, amazing feeling. Uh, yeah. You were talking
2: about the fact, Sean, that you'd been bowling well in the Nets. I'm sure Justin Langer would probably attest <laughs> to that. There was just a, a little confrontation that happened between you two and the Nets in that series. What happened?
1: Um, it's a funny one, actually, because uh, that... Now, this is from my memory. That morning, um, I was having breakfast down at the hotel, and uh, Brett Lee came up to me. Someone came up to me anyway and and put the paper in front of me and it was an article that J.O. was writing for the paper over there. And he basically said that I wasn't ready to play um, because I I think there must have been some talk they were going to pick me in. I wasn't ready to play, um, not good enough, they should play, this person, that person, blah, 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 blah. That sort of thing. And from a teammate itself, even though I was so young, and I honestly didn't really care that much, but from a team, now I think about it, from a teammate to write that about a better player in your squad mm. that you're training with and you've got to sit on a bus with, I find that amazing. Um, but anyway, at the time, I didn't actually really care, and I, and whoever put the paper in front of me, I think it was Binger, um, he just said, use that as motivation. And I was like, okay. And I sort of didn't really hit me, but then I got in the nets. And I don't think it mattered who I was going to bowl to that day. Trevor Holmes was at the back, um, sort of behind the bowlers watching chairman selectors, and I knew that this was going to be the... If I, if I performed in the here in the nets, I'm probably half chance of getting the game, which is what it was like back then. You know, the nets were pretty important. And I just let loose. And I, to be fair, I bowled a, a full toss that hit him. I bowled a couple of short balls that hit him. Um, and I wasn't into him or, or talking to him or fired up or anything. He was doing that back to me. He was sort of like, you know, you little smart ass, go back and bowl, you yeah, know, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. And I'd, I'd split his box... So I'd hit him, I'd cracked his protector and, and mm. split that. So it was it was fairly nasty stuff. Um, but then at the end of it, uh, he came up and gave me a hug and it was all good. Because, um, he, yeah, he, he had a good old go at me and I did feel a bit funny. But anyway, I got picked, so it doesn't matter. You mentioned
2: you played three test matches. One of them was on home soil and it was on the Wacker Wicket. Were you mm. licking your chops when you played a test match at the bouncy Wacker?
1: Well, it didn't end up being that bouncy from memory. But that was a, another my my test career was a stinker really. That was a, another one. I had a shock at the Oval after that first one. Really, I didn't bowl much, um, and the Wacker one. Um, I I had what was going on then. That was a, I think I was played as a fourth fast bowler, so it, so as well. I probably wasn't going to bowl that much that test anyway. I remember doing a boxing session two days out from that game I my, my skin folds were sort of up, and then I needed to lose a bit of weight apparently, and all this sort of stuff and so I'd been doing extra sessions, boxing sessions and i I twinged my hamstring so and i I sort of kept it really quiet from the physio, and I shouldn't have um in hindsight, I shouldn't have played that game really um so i was I was worried about my hamstring, I knew that I could bowl fast for about five overs and 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 after that I'd probably deteriorate um and that was the case, and then mentally as well, it all just hit me um. So I just wasn't in a good place mentally or physically at that time. Um, but it you know, it is what it is. It, I didn't take a wick, I didn't think I bowled much. I was I, I remember sitting down and finally just not wanted to be there. So that's not if you're playing a test match and you absolutely don't want, don't want to be there, then that's a problem. So I think not long after that, mate, I stepped away and didn't play for a couple of months. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, from the outside looking in, we think that it's a glamorous life. Here you are Hmm. on the international stage, you're getting paid good money to do something that you love. The pressures Hmm. that go on, because after all, you are normal human beings and you go home and you have feelings and that can be a terribly difficult thing sitting on your shoulders sometimes.
1: It is tough to, to, to talk about, not tough to talk about, it's tough to work out what I was actually going through. I wish I knew more or could remember more and maybe help out some young blokes now. But from memory, I was just fed up. I was fed up with the game. I was fed up of the attention that it brought. I was fed up with my body. Um, I was fed up of, of Cricket Australia. I mean, and they have to put you under pressure. They have to, you've got to be a certain way. You've got to be fit. You've got to do all that stuff. But I was fed up with it. That's just the way I was. And call it whatever it was. And at that time, I suppose I was called soft and everything under the, you know, you can imagine by all sorts of people, even from the UK, from from Australia and from the, if I went to the pub, blokes would have a go at me, it was just nonstop. So, um, yeah, I think I just needed to get away from it all, to be honest. And I sort of went away on a couple of holidays. And I think after a a couple of months, I was like, right, you you do realise, you're like, well, there's nothing else I'm going to, you know, I do enjoy it. I've just got to get my headspace right. And and get all the rubbish out of my head and just play the game, and that's what I ended up doing when I came back. I simplified things. Um, I think I didn't. I don't know if I played another four-day game. Maybe played a couple, but certainly wasn't planning on playing any more longer-form cricket. Um, I just want to enjoy myself. Yeah. We'll talk about the shorter forms of the game, the
2: ODIs, and in particular the World Cup because we are celebrating the World Cup and we'll talk about your great success in World Cup cricket when we come back on the other side of the break. Sean Tate is my guest. Hope you're enjoying our celebration of the World Cup. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
0: You're listening to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to
2: Celebrating World Cup Lives
0: for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating
2: Lives. Good to have you with us for our chat with Sean Tate, the wild thing. I shouldn't have called him that because he doesn't like it. No, I <laughs> the, <know. laughs> the celebration of the World Cup, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral. Celebrating Lives. Sean, you talked about your ODI debut against mm. India in Sydney 2007. We're watching the 50 over game at the moment, but... Back then, and even before then, the 50-over game was big business, and
1: the atmosphere at those games yeah. was off the charts. Yeah, it was, I think it was against the Poms, actually. But anyway, it doesn't matter. SCG against England, I think it was. But I, I, I love the fact, the build-up to the games back then in one-day cricket. Um, and I, I suppose it was, well, it was definitely before 2020 was a big hit in Australia. Um, I just loved all the entertainment, um, SCG, the colour, uh, the crowd building in, um, the music that was played before the game, and it was it was a little bit more laid back, I suppose, than Test cricket as well. So I just I just felt like it suited me. Um, so yeah, I loved every minute of that of that getting that that one day de- debut. Um, but my, I didn't love it at the end of the game. I was shattered at the end because I I think I went for sixty eight off ten, which is a lot at, back then. Um, so I wasn't happy with my performance. But anyway. Did that atmosphere, do you
2: think, help you to bowl fast? Because you, you get caught up. It's easy to get caught up in a, yeah. in a vibe like that where the music is loud and, and mm. the vibe is loud. Did it help you bowl quickly?
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. Look, I, I know after playing all that time for Australia or whatever and playing Twenty Twenty cricket, if I'd gone, when I had to go back and just say you play, like I go back to the soccer, for example, and play an internal trial game at Park 25 with no one around, I used to find it hard to get up for those games. Um, so that was another thing, you know, I I got to a point where when I stopped playing four day cricket, I didn't miss it at all because I was like, well, you're playing in front of 10 people. Whereas T20 cricket, you're always playing in front of a a big crowd and I loved it and I couldn't, I I found it very difficult to go back to playing in front of not many people.
2: So the adrenaline kicks in when you're playing ODIs and it kicked in to the extent where you bowl the ball against England in an ODI at 161.1. Hmm.
1: Did it feel like that when it came out? Yeah, it did. It, well, I don't know if it felt exactly that pace, but it certainly felt quick that day. And it's a funny, yeah, cricket's such a funny and fast bowling. Like I'd, I was in, I was pl- I was over there playing for Glamorgan um, and then they, I got the, I got the call-up, someone got injured. I got the call-up to the squad while I was there, so I just jumped on them. And they they were playing in, in Cardiff that night and I was there having a couple of beers at the game because I was playing locally. Um, and I went in the dressing room after and I'd, I'd I had a couple of beers in the dressing room, and Murph Hughes was there. That so sector. He goes, don't have too many tonight because she she might be on the bus with us tomorrow. Um, I was like, okay, righto. Um, and then I think I got a phone call saying you you are. So I was like, right, I better wrap this up and and jump on the bus the next day in Cardiff for I was living anyway at the time. So um, and that and I sort of bowled well for the, those first two games. Uh, we played a game at Manchester. I think we played a game at the Oval, and the last game of the series was at Lords. And that game, I felt terrible. Like I, I'd, I'd, my body felt tight. Um, and I just thought this is not this is not right. I'm you know I'm not I'm going to I'm going to be no good today. And that was the day I went out and bowled lightning and felt really good when I was bowling and, and bowled 161. So it's it's funny how the game works. You you don't feel that good leading in and you end up bowling the fastest ball you've ever bowled. So yeah. And I think the second fastest ball ever measured. I think bakhtar has got
2: you covered by yes. 0.2 of a kilometer an hour. Yes. Are you dirty yeah. on the fact that he, he he's got you by 0.2? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, it'd be nice to bowl the quickest of all time. But I don't think it would have mattered either way. <laughs> I mean, Schaub was a different level. He he sort of bowled up around that pace quite consistently, I think Schaub. So he was a different level, yeah. You asked Jeff Thompson though, and there's no he bowled. He honestly thinks he bowled 170. So <sighs> who knows with this fight with this, this speed gun stuff? You know, back then maybe maybe he was bowling that pace, and from all all reports, he was he was the quickest of all time. So, but um, yes, yeah, so I don't know if if people pay too much attention to it. I suppose, but anyway. Can you remember who the one sixty one point one was at the other end when you yes, rolled? Yes, it? it was Craig were at the other end. And did he see it? No, you, 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 you know, you talk about you talk. Oh, I've seen that footage a few times since, and you talk about guys feeling uncomfortable. You could just see how uncomfortable he was facing it. Yeah. Did he get a bat on it, or was it outside off, or the where was pad. it? He hit him in the thigh with a glove, and it went up to, it went up to sort of square leg type area. Yeah, nothing. It was nothing glamorous, but. Um, yeah, it was a quick. I, I bowled a quick spell that day. It was Andrew Strauss and some guys that knocked over at the top. It just, it, it was just a, again a great atmosphere. Um, it was a very, probably the most memorable match I've ever played. And I think I took four wickets and got the man of the match, and we beat beat England as well. So it was one game I'd, I'd certainly love to go back and play again.
2: I reckon if you hit him on the thigh pad at one
1: sixty one point one, the bruise would have subsided about two days ago. <laughs> yeah, I think so. yeah he, wasn't, <laughs> he, he wasn't happy to be there. I know that much. So, yeah. um and I think after that. I'm after that series, there was calls for me to come back and play on the test side, but uh, never happened yeah
2: let's go to the World Cup two thousand and seven, as we said we're celebrating world cups what What are your memories of that great time
1: for Australian cricket? Well, yeah, I'll put that up there again, so you, uh, you know that ashes series fant- I, uh, ashes series you know a game like the one we just spoke about one hundred and sixty one um, getting your bag of green that stuff. I think if there was one part of my career i would if I had to leave one part of my career there. It'd be that 2007 World Cup. That's that's something that I would never take away. Um, it was, again, off the field was fantastic, uh, good fun to be around the guys. It was laid back because it was in the Caribbean, and everything just clicked right on the field. It was one of those rare moments when you just know you're not going to lose, um, and a great environment to play in, uh, off the field and and on the field. So it all just came together perfectly. That's right. It you know, just it seemed, seemed there was the a ball on the ground. Yeah, yeah there yeah, was like, just a bit of an edge to it. I've got to say, that yeah, you're right. So I've got to say that, uh, the environment was a, a hell of a lot different in 2007. I can't quite put my finger on it. I can't remember exactly, but it didn't feel like we were going to win the World Cup it, to me, if I'm honest. So uh, not nothing bad, but something just wasn't quite right. Something wasn't clicking. Um, and we're probably all to blame for that as well. So, I mean, we had some good times in that trip as well, but um, it was certainly the complete opposite to, to 2007. And I think that... Turned out to be your final ODI for Australia, yeah. at the quarter final against India. Well that's the other thing. If you if you if you're happy just to call it quits there and then I mean I had other reasons as well, but if you're happy just to walk out of the side and not then obviously there's not I wasn't having the greatest time of my life. So um yeah. That's um yeah, I think we played the last game at Emnabad against India, they beat us and my last wicket was Sachin, so it could have been worse. Yeah.
2: Yeah, not a bad one to bow out on. Yeah. Um, we'll bow out of this segment and we'll come back with our final segment in just a moment and talk about the game as it stands today, the World Cup, how much you've enjoyed watching the rainfall as we all have <laughs> at various times, watching the covers out there in uh, lovely old England in summer. That's all still ahead of us with Sean Tate on the other side of the breakers. we celebrate the World Cup thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives.
0: You're listening to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives.
2: Welcome back to Celebrating World Cup Lives for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Our final segment with Sean Tate as we celebrate the World Cup, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Uh, Tatey, the T20 game. Um, it mm. was a phenomenon before we even saw it in England, and everybody said yep. watch this it 's just going to take over Well, it certainly seems to have taken over. Do you think that the future of Test cricket has been jeopardized at all by the phenomenon that is t twenty or does one add to the other
1: i think I think one adds to the other that 's what i think i 't know the answer. i don 't know the exact answer to that i don 't know um, if it will jeopardize things or anything um Obviously, we, we, there's been talk of the one-day game suffering, but I think when you've got a World Cup to to look forward to every four years, I think the one-day game should stay there. Um, I think they, they're looking to do more things around that, like make it a, a more of a combat, uh, make games relevant through the year. You know, you go and play a one-day series in, in in India for seven games, and no one cares in Australia. You don't, you know, you've got to make it more relevant. You've got to make um, you've got to put more on the games, whether it's a a championship that leads into a World Cup or a a trophy at the end of every couple of years or just something that, that, that keeps things going. And it's probably the same as test cricket, that test championship they talked about or mm. having two divisions or whatever it might be, you know, relegation or I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking out out loud. Um, just, just something to tinker the game to make it more exciting, keep people engaged, especially the overseas trips. Unless you've got Foxtel half the time and you, you want to stay up late, obviously we can't see a, a hell of a lot of it. So it, mm. it is difficult. It's interesting when you
2: look at some of the cricket, speaking of watching Foxtel and and we all tune in and watch cricket from around the world and we're spoilt with some of the crowds that we have, especially in Ashes series, but you look at some of the test cricket
1: that goes on around the world and you could basically count the number of people in the stands. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You you do everyone. And it's funny because every time there's a game that's really good. So you play, you see a test go down the wire, which isn't always the case Mm. and you especially you know, on Twitter social media, all that stuff, you see guys come out and say, this is why test cricket is a pinnacle, this is test cricket, blah, blah, blah. But what they forget is the, the 10 games in between that one and the last one that, that happened, it was pretty ordinary test cricket. So that's the problem, I think. Um, and I might be wrong, but that's the way I see it. Um, it's 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 all well and good to say test cricket is great um, after one really good good game, good test. But then the others in between, there might be a East, West East versus South Africa. There's no one at the ground and the... And the The wicket's flat and and it's a crap test. That's the the stuff that doesn't get spoken about, which is what the problem is, I suppose. So putting more, again, putting putting more on the games, putting more on a test series, rather than just having these two test series versus Sri Lanka in the middle of some ridiculous time of year that no one cares about, uh, they've got to make it a lot more important, I think. And I don't know what the answer to that is. It's just me just just thinking out loud, yeah.
2: And it's also a society problem, isn't it? Because this is the age of instant yep. gratification. And for something that goes for five days and may not even have a result at the end of five days yep. is kind of anachronistic uh, to a lot of the younger
1: generation. The funny thing is, since I've stopped playing, now my favourite form of cricket is test cricket. How ridiculous. So it's... When I'm at home now, I love watching test cricket. Absolutely love it. Um, and and it'd be nice to somehow be involved in again somewhere, but... Um, that's, that's the funny thing. I think as you get a bit older, you do appreciate test cricket more, no doubt. Um, and the enthralling sessions of every every day's play and all that sort of stuff. But majority of people nowadays, the younger generation, they couldn't care less about that. So that's the uh, that's, that's the problem. But I think t- t- T20 cricket keeps people interested in cricket. So if they're going to be interested in cricket, it just sort of filters on to test. Oh, I might watch this day's play or or whatever it might be. And, and I know... I did. I helped out with some coaching clinics in Melbourne last year, uh, last cricket season. And every single clinic that I was at, I'd ask the kids what, and they were fairly young kids. And I'd ask them what their favourite form of cricket is, and it was unbelievable. A lot of them said Test cricket. Mm. So, and I was so surprised. I mean, and and even a lot of them said One Day cricket. I'd honestly say that it was, from memory, it was a, a bit even all around. But One Day and Test cricket were as much as popular as twenty twenties for these young kids. So that was that was good to hear.
2: One last question, and this is uh, with your commentator's hat on now, if you like. Yeah, There was an interesting gesture by Virat Kohli in the match between India and Australia where he basically mm. told the Indian supporters to stop booing Steve Smith. Do yep. you think that after all of the turbulence, Sean, that we've had in Australian cricket uh, over the past 12 months, that this World Cup might be the period where the forgiveness is finally
1: given to Smith and Warner and we move on? I hope so. Um, I do hope so. Uh, like, I, you know, a lot of people will, will, will be, be the opposite. I know my nana, old school nana, she'll sit there watching telly now. And, you know, one of those guys might get some runs or get a 100 and she'll say, i oh, cheat. And that's still, you know, that's mm-hmm. just the way it is. And especially the older generation, they don't forgive too easily. So I don't look at it that way. I look at it, the incident happened. Um, they haven't killed anybody. I know it's a big deal, it's on the world stage, but it is a game of cricket at the end of the day. Um, yeah, it was it was terrible what they did, but they served a good a good sentence. They 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 did their time. Um it, it ripped their life apart. Um, there's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, they're they're good Aussie cricketers. Um they're good players, and I think we should all I think well, I'm not telling everyone what to do, but I certainly think think what Virat did was was really good. At the time I was trying to find some some reason to think it wasn't good. I was like, Virat, you know keep out of a top thing but you really think about it it was brilliant what he did um, cuz all this booing that goes on in footy and cricket okay that's that we all know that is sport and that's all part of it but it gets a bit much i think i think the, the public that follows sport nowadays are so brutal and people would listen to this and say just get on with it but it, it is it's ridiculous the way that the crowds and that carry on it's stupid so i think it was really good what virat did and i think we all do need to move on and and uh, and go on with it yeah Let's hope we do, and let's hope we get
2: to see more Australian success and maybe they could emulate what you and your teammates did in the 2007 World Cup. Sean, it's been a pleasure to sit down for an hour and relive your great career. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been enjoyable. Cheers, mate. Sean Tate joining us to celebrate the World Cup. Thanks to Toven Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Hope you can join us next time.
0: Want to witness the world's biggest football game?